And hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome again to another edition of the Gridiron Graduates. I am your host, Bill Rossetti. Hope you all had a wonderful week. Glad to have you back. Joining me as always is my buddy Ian Wharton. Ian, how's it going, man? Things are going well. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of summer. Football is going to be back in the discussion. Obviously for us, it's in the discussion every week, but you know, it's going to be on the tip of our tongues here very shortly. And college football, NFL, that's the best time of the year. So we're just on the eve right now. Uh, it's, a, it's a good time. It's July. It's it's getting close. It's getting fun. Uh, and just like last week, we have another great guest joining us. Very happy to have him on today. You know him from Football Guys. He's the host of On the Couch on the Football Guys. He's co-host of The Audible with Cecil Lammy. Good friend of ours. Glad to have him on. The one, the only, Sigmund Bloom. Sig, how's it going, man? Welcome. Great, and, and you know, as you all are saying, this is the time of year, right around 4th of July weekend is when the wider sports community starts to turn their focus back to football after flirting with it during the draft, while the rest of us, I know you two gentlemen, absolutely, we never went away, so it's fun to see everyone come back in, but we've been obsessing about this stuff for months, trying to put all the pieces in place, uh, and, and that's why we love it so much, because it's a puzzle that can never be solved. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to figure out. And speaking of getting back into it and, you know, things that have happened in the past months, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about players that came into the league over the last few months, talk about some players that got drafted, and just kind of get general discussions on them. And then later on, we're going to get some fantasy talk because Sig, of course, one of the best in the business when it comes to fantasy. And who, who doesn't love a little fantasy football on July 1st, right, guys? Oh, it's time. The drafts are coming. No, it, it's definitely time. FanDuel and DraftKings are going to set their first uh, like week one prices, I think, in about three weeks. So we can already start thinking about DFS week one. And Evan Silva is even trying to get me started on preseason NFL daily fantasy. So Oh, nice. Wow. That's deep. Got you. Very, very deep. <laughs> get, get your, get your uh, Scott Tolzien fantasy yeah. stats or something like that already. Garrett Grayson. <laughs> man, let's get started. We're going to talk some rookies here. I, I think the best way to start is to talk about the top two guys in the draft. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Just get a little discussion from the two of you guys, what you think of the two of them, and how you think they're going to fit into their respective teams. And Sig, I'll start with you. What are you expecting this season out of Jameis Winston with Tampa Bay? I would bet on the side of success. I would err on the side of success or optimism here because what you have with Winston is a situation where it's almost – I mean, it's not a good thing that they have a terrible offensive line. Don't get me wrong. But this is similar to Florida State where, hey, this is your team. We've seen rookie quarterbacks eased in. There's no easing in of Winston. There's going to be moments that he'd like to take back, like in the first quarter of a lot of games last year. But then there's going to be a lot of heroics because of – of the supporting cast he has, Mike Evans, Vincent Jackson, Austin Safarian Jenkins, because of Dirk Cutter. Remember, this team barely had an offensive coordinator, really didn't have an offensive coordinator after Jeff Tedford's health problems last year. Uh, and he's taking the, the bull by the horns as far as leading the team, win sprints with the offensive linemen, personally greeting everybody in OTAs. He's securing buy-in, which is not anything different than what we heard from uh, his times at Florida State. All the things he's known for off the field, um, none of those things bleed into his football character. He has high football character. And he's a highly, highly intelligent guy. This is not really part of the conventional wisdom on him, but he's a highly intelligent guy, and it's highly intelligent applied to the game of football, too. So I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed. I think he'll bite off more than he can chew, but that's just Jameis Winston's style. Uh, but he's going to make Tampa Bay competitive, which isn't really that hard in the NFC South. <laughs> yeah, not, coming off a 7-8-1 and one season with a division champ, it's not going to be that hard. Uh and you mentioned about the offensive line, and certainly I think Tampa Bay did a good job during the draft of trying to improve. You know, once they got their quarterback, trying to surround them as best they can. You know, they they took Penn State's Donovan Smith uh, top of the second round, traded back into the second round to take Ali Marpet. Uh, and what were your thoughts on those guys? Like, do you think those two guys can also step in and kind of help Winston, or is this? You know, like, yeah, 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, well, Smith, I mean, look, we've seen guys, like, get by, you know, as rookies, David Bakhtiari in Green Bay. I mean, you can give him some help, Smith, and I, I think that it can't possibly get worse than it was. Anthony Collins was an absolute disaster. Uh, Marpet's an excellent fit on anybody. This was a, a player I think a lot of people had mocked to the Seahawks. Just to give you an idea, the the match seemed nice. To give you an idea of the type of player he is. A street fighter. And if there's any sort of revival of the running game going on, that could help. Um, but as you said, it's more just addressing the issues. I, look, I like Jameis Winston's functional mobility in the pocket. I like his awareness in the pocket. I like his poise. And I think of quarterbacks that have done well with poor offensive lines like Ben Roethlisberger. And he, I, I see some similar qualities. Know, Roethlisberger's not that athletic. I think Winston's probably as athletic as Roethlisberger. Uh, so I think that he can rise to the challenge of having to deal with bullets flying, muddy pockets. Uh, we've seen him deal well with that already. Good stuff. Ian, I'll send it over to you now, and we'll talk about number two, uh, Marcus Mariota. Uh, all the talk, of course, was how is he going to transition from the college system he played at Oregon, the spread offense, to what he's coming in now with Tennessee. He certainly He's playing behind a decent offensive line, I think. Uh, certainly a guy like Chance Warmack is a favorite of mine. Uh, Taylor Lewan's going to move over to the left side. Got a bit of a hole at right tackle, though, so it's going to be interesting how that plays out, and certainly some pretty good weapons around him. What's your take now on how Mario is going to make that transition and what he can do for the Titans this season and going forward? Yeah, I think when you compare him to Jameis, I think he's going to be a little bit slower in his development just because of more of a mindset thing more than necessarily a talent issue you know like sig talked about with winston he's just kind of like that go-getter on the field where he's just going to make these ridiculous passes and sometimes they're going to work out and sometimes they're not and that's just who he is and mariota is more of a player where he's a little bit more cerebral he kind of wants to see it first before he pulls the trigger on some of his throws and I think that that's where his greatest area of improvement can come as far as becoming a franchise quarterback. And that's not a huge knock. I mean, that's something that you want to see with almost every young quarterback, especially when you're looking to project to the elite-type players in the league. Can this player see it? Can he trust the play developing How you know before it actually does and then execute with an accurate pass uh, on that vision? So I think that his biggest challenge, it's not going to necessarily be, you know, being in a huddle, calling plays, stuff like that. That that seems pretty ridiculous to me that that's actually not coming out of college nowadays. Pretty much every college system is based off of just a couple words, just a number, even just a hand signal. Uh, moving to the NFL, these guys are highly intelligent. I mean, it's it, just to be able to operate quarterback at a high level – as long as you're not like Jamarcus Russell, you can probably yeah. do a fair job of calling a play, memorizing a play. As long as you're in the in the room in the quarterback room doing your homework, we know Marcus Mariota's that guy. We already know that. Mm-hmm. I have no concerns about him putting in the hours. So I think his biggest challenge is just going to be helping su- support that team as far as being consistent. And then when he's able to push himself a little bit more, can he do it? Because I, I, a little bit of a concern that I had with him is, is he a little bit too much Alex Smith at times, where if there's not an obvious play to be made, can he create, and I don't mean create as far as running the ball, create extending the plays, getting outside the pocket, making one of those Aaron Rodgers types throws. Like when you're taking a quarterback that high, you really want him to become a top 10 quarterback. And those are the type of plays that separate a guy like Alex Smith from a guy like, like I said, or Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, any of the top ten type of players. Mm -hmm. That's what's really separating that type of player. And it's not going to be decided as a rookie, but you hope to see just a flash of it here and there and obviously limit the bad as much as possible. We saw a couple years ago how Ken Wisenhunt, kind of resurrected the career of Philip Rivers. Do you think he can work some of that magic on Mariota or their fit is incredibly 
interesting to me because I thought that they kind of settled on Mariota as far as um, when you look at Wizenhunt's history, that's not the type of player that he would gravitate towards. Right. He likes the more Mettenberger type of quarterback. Big arm, you know, noodles for brain sometimes. He'll just gunsling it no matter what he thinks he can make the throw, which is fine. But it's not really, you know, you can't characterize Mariota in the same light. So I thought that they kind of settled on Mariota, which is fine because they took the better talent. And they said, okay, we're going to take the more overall talented player. I'm just interested to see now, is he going to be willing to kind of adjust his system, go less vertical and be a little bit more horizontal with his passing attack um, and stretch the defenses a little bit differently, which I think, you know, personnel wise would benefit them as well. You look at Kendall Wright, um, Trey McBride, Doriel Green Beckham, uh, Hakeem Nix, and even Harry Douglas. I mean, they're four or five. And then if you throw in Justin Hunter, I guess. You know, six deep receivers. These guys have all different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus Hunt, a pretty good tight end in Delaney Walker, too. So fa- it's not Fantastic. Like, yeah, fantastic yeah. tight end in Delaney Walker. I, I love Delaney Walker. You know, they can do a lot of different things. They don't have to just go vertical, which a lot mm-hmm. of their games last year, they just ran like four verts or three verts, and then they would run Delaney Walker on like a crossing route. And, of course, he's going to destroy linebackers on that, so he was open most of the time. Right. But they don't have to do that every time. Like, you can actually run a multifaceted offense with Mariota and let him win with his mind and read the defense. So I, I just hope that Wizenhunt will actually allow him to do that and not be focused on what he's been doing for the last seven, eight years of his coaching career, which is basically just attack downfield. And so it sounds like you want to. Yeah, kind I want to interject. Him. Well, it's just funny because I, I think that the turn of phrase there that Ian used. I mean, just will he? Really, what we're asking is, is he going to meet Mariota halfway, or is he going to do what seems to have plagued his time in Tennessee, which is just not gotten much out of his personnel? Honestly, it doesn't seem like he's doing a very good job managing what he has on the roster and you cited what happened in San Diego. And we, now we have to start potentially revising our understanding of Ken Wisenhunt and I, Hey, Ken Wisenhunt, you know, as a lifelong diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan, Western Pennsylvania, born and bred, (laughs) I tip, I tip my cap to him. I tip my cap to him because it it was Wisenhunt who I think got in Bill Cowher's mind that, Hey, Maybe in the playoffs, you know, passing on first down isn't a bad idea sometimes. Sometimes. You know, this team that uh, made finally won the Super Bowl under Bill Cowher with Ken Wisenhunt as offensive coordinator was much more balanced and not single-minded. Um, but then we look back at what he did in Arizona when he was considered a successful head coach. Well, was it just being there when Kurt Warner was there? Uh, and then we look at San Diego and you see what Philip Rivers has done, but is that Mike McCoy? Is that Frank Reich, uh, who, you know, until Philip Rivers went to Miami last year and disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, Rivers was having a tremendous season. So I don't know that Ken was, what is he, 3-25 and 25 in his last 28 games? Yeah, something uh, like I mean, that. He, he might be a, an affirmatively terrible head coach, you know? Um, that's what That gives me a little worry about Mariota, is that this could just be... Um, a do-over. You mentioned a lot about settling for them. I know there was some murmurs. I, I think that this has been shot down again recently, but it's always shot down until it's confirmed that the team could be for sale. Perhaps there was some thinking behind the scenes of what using the number two pick in what fashion helps us sell the team, maybe if they have a, a quarterback. But you just don't like the idea of a team taking a franchise quarterback, and then within a year, maybe the entire staff, you know, GM, head coach, all the way down, are new. It's what EJ Manuel's facing in Buffalo, and you know, what happened to him. Uh, quick question: Do you find it interesting that we sit here on July first, and Mariota is the only unsigned first-round pick remaining? Yeah, what's the deal? Like, he wants to surf or something? What was the thing that went around today? Yeah, that that's what came out today. <laughs> if he can't surf, he won't sign. Like, like what is that? <laughs> It's it is definitely weird. Well, you know, I mean, I guess these things don't come up, um, and you have to wonder if it's the team leaking that because 
they want to try to pressure him that hey you know you're you're a football now but i don't know it is really odd and and certainly the surf explanation while it seems a bit outlandish or absurd is the kind of thing it'd be something like that that would cause this to happen so i, I definitely think there's something that has to be ironed out here because um, this, this is not supposed to happen under the new CBA. So I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders that we have a clue, but it's hard to say because the media can be used to exert leverage by one side or the other. Exactly. And, it's... and re- real quick too, it's it's funny that um, this is a Mariota thing because go back, let's flash back just a couple months ago talking about Winston. And uh, right. The concern was, is he going to play baseball? <laughs> and all of a sudden we've got Mariota that wants to be a surfer. <laughs> And also on that, too, I saw earlier today on Road to World something about Odell Beckham, uh, some minor league or semi-pro team or whatever wants him to come to spring training, too. So where, where's all these young players and these other sports coming from? It's like it's funny. It's like coming out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. And then you talked about how we just talked about how it's so late then the CBA and he just mentioned Jameis Winston, and it was interesting how the next, the day after he's drafted, he's already signed. So, and Dante Fowler, the third pick, injures his ACL, still gets a fully guaranteed contract. So it's like, what's what's the holdup here? Is the offset that much of a hangup? Have they not talked? So it's going to be interesting to see when uh, – when this plays out, because we only got about a month until training camp. Boy, I'm glad I said that. Only a month till training camp. Yeah. Uh, let, let's move on. Talk uh, some more rookies. I want to get your thoughts, and say I'll start with you on some rookies. You know, high round, late round. You know, day one, day three, whatever. Uh, that you're looking at that you think can really make an immediate impact on their respective team this season. Yeah, and of course I'm going to start out uh, from a fantasy angle, or at least on the classic fantasy positions, just because you know, that's where a lot of my focus has been since the draft. But it in some ways dovetails nicely with the strengths of this draft, obviously the running back position. And you're going to see a lot of teams almost hitch their wagon to, to running backs. Uh, Melvin Gordon and, and TJ Yeldon, I think, obviously. T- Todd Gurley, when he's ready. You can go right down the list. Amir Abdullah. A lot of the, you're reading the tea leaves out of OTAs. Guys like Amir Abdullah and Duke Johnson seem like they're just going to earn more and more playing time and more and more touches. Uh, with Tevin Coleman, maybe he may go, come along a little bit slower, but he obviously figures in greatly into their plans. And, you know, even guys like, uh, David Johnson are going to get looks pretty early on in some fashion. And, and likewise with the wide receivers, um, I'm really interested to see what some of the wide receivers from the first round do, like Philip Dorsett, again, a guy who's been getting a lot of buzz, uh, Nelson Aguilar showing up in Philly and looking the part. Um, and of course, uh, Amari Cooper, who I think will be the the cornerstone there, maybe more of a delayed impact for guys like Kevin White, just because of John Fox and the rookies and the personnel they have there already. And Devonte Parker with his second foot surgery. Um, but, you know, it, it's it may be the best running back class since 2008 in you know, the class that gave us Matt Forte and Chris Johnson. Uh, and Ray Rice and many other good ones. Uh, and I, I think that that's going to be one of the big stories. Watching those preseason games, there's your preseason DFS plays for you. Watch some of these rookies, <laughs> you know, watch even someone like Malcolm Brown uh, in training camp and in preseason, because they're going to save Trey Mason. They're not going to use Todd Gurley. Someone like Malcolm Brown in St. Louis could use that as an opportunity to maybe audition for other teams that would be looking for a running back uh, whenever the final cuts come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just scrolling on your timeline, I noticed you uh, you retweeted an article from Chris Wessling mm-hmm. and uh, how he talked about how Pep Hamilton basically ripped up a lot of his plays after uh, the Colts drafted Philip Dorsett. So are we going to start – do you think we're going to start to see more of like a spread look? You know, yeah. A lot of three, four wide receiver sets. And, it, and it's going to be interesting to – how they're going to work both Dorsett and T.Y. Hilton, because they both seem like similar players, but both definitely very dynamic and 
could be a fun offense to watch. Yeah, I think that Pep Hamilton kind of had it last. It was funny because the first two games of the season last year, you saw good old Pep trying to keep things traditional, and then there was that game against Philadelphia in the second game of the season that they squandered a lead because I think there were some plays that he ran instead of passing. You keep the ball in the hands of your best player, and that's Andrew Luck. And after that, starting in week three, it really became a Luck-centric offense. So it makes sense to me that you add Philip Dorsett. And remember, Philip Dorsett's part of this U reunion thing they've got going on, too. Part of the, 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 the U. The U with Frank Gore and Andre Johnson and Rob Chudzinski and Chuck Pagano and so on. Uh, so I think they're going to get him involved. And I think the idea is that you put the pressure on the opponent by keeping your foot on the gas on offense, um, especially with the defense they have. So I, I could see this team really threatening to score over 30 points a game and uh, otherwise stay in attack mode uh, and, and not really – you know, not let up. I mean, you have Andrew Luck. There's no reason to do that. Uh, there's never. It's kind of like how the Patriots have gone about things, where there's never a lead that you feel like comfortable with. You know, you just right. you just keep keep landing those blows, and they have the personnel now. This is by far and away the best personnel set that Andrew Luck has had in his career. Absolutely. By by. A, so I'm excited, and I have a feeling they're excited too. I would imagine so. It's, they're they're going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, Ian, how about you? Who are some rookies you're excited to see, or who do you think can really step up immediately? Um, you know, I'll focus a little bit more on the defensive side. I think some of these young pass rushers that entered the league, um, guys like Randy Gregory, a guy that has to step up fairly quickly, not you know, not right away because the Dallas Cowboys have guys already in place. Jeremy Minty, um, he's a big-time pass rusher that they signed from Denver. Um, also, Demarcus Lawrence coming back for his second season. I think he's going to be a little bit better than what he showed in limited time last year. But a guy like Randy Gregory really can come out and create a fearsome pass rush, especially as Greg Hardy eventually makes his way back on the team at some point in the season. Um, the Cowboys really need that third pass rusher to create that extra edge uh, presence for them because really the rest of their defense is kind of average. Uh, their secondary at times played well last year, especially Orlando Skandrick. Uh, Brandon Carr played fairly well, too. But the more pressure that they create, the less that's actually going to be required to be coming from all over the place from Rod Marinelli. Uh, Marinelli does a really nice job there as far as uh, schemes and making guys play a little bit better than their talent level would suggest. Um, I think he could be a player that really proves why he was potentially a top five value for a lot of analysts. Uh, his length, obviously, his speed was just so overwhelming for a lot of collegiate tackles, uh, especially first-round pick uh, Eric Flowers. The few matchups that they played in their matchup last year, uh, Gregory really just manhandled him in a lot of those snaps. I, I think he's a potential difference maker as a rookie. Um, Vic Beasley, I, I don't really have to sell many people on Vic Beasley. If you're not aboard the Vic Beasley uh, hype train, Basically, we're not going to be friends because Vic Beasley <laughs> is life. That train and... <laughs> is filling up quick, so you better jump on now. Absolutely. I mean, once we're at like not if we're if we're at like the second week of training camp and you don't love Vic Beasley, just don't even talk to me about him because it's just going to be gushing Vic Beasley love as soon as mm -hmm. preseason games start because he's just going to be ragdolling these second team tackles and then. Obviously, regular season, he's just going to be ridiculous. Absolutely. So, um, and then, obviously, secondary. I'm always looking forward to secondary guys. Uh, I really want to see how the Houston Texans incorporate Kevin Johnson into their secondary. Mm -hmm. uh, they re-signed Jonathan jo Joseph, which is a fantastic move. He is He's 31 years old, but he is still one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, bar none. He is, it's amazing how he's aged so well. And I really like what Kareem Jackson's done as far as um, – improving his technical ability and being a little bit more patient as far as letting routes develop. Um, there were times early in his career where he was just, he would think he read something, act on it, and then being just burned for 10 yards. And the receiver would just go the opposite cut, uh, whatever it may be, at the apex of the route. He would just guess completely wrong and be out of, out of position. Last year he showed a lot more discipline 
like I said, he was more patient as far as letting the receiver kind of show what they wanted to do uh, and force the receiver to make their move first. And whether it was in slot or outside, I think he's a, he's a definitely a, a difference maker for that defense. And then Kevin Johnson, I think he fits best outside. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance those three cornerbacks, uh, especially in that division where the Colts, obviously, you know, we, we just talked about how explosive offensively they are. But that's a division where if they got fairly average quarterback play, which is a big if, out of Ryan Mallett and Brian Hoyer. But, you know, if they get fairly decent quarterback play, that's a really dangerous roster. Absolutely. Good good calls on those. And I'll throw in a couple myself. Uh, I'm going to stick in Philadelphia because I can uh, and talk about their top two picks. Sig kind of mentioned a little bit about Nelson Aguilar. Uh, I think he's a great fit for this offense. A lot of people compare them to Jeremy Macklin, and that's probably the position that he's going to be asked to play. So I, I think he's going to fit in really well with Jordan Matthews in the slot, and depending who else they throw out there, Josh Huff, maybe Riley Cooper, even though I'm no one's a Riley Cooper fan. But uh, Ag- Aguilar, like I said, looking forward to watching him. And then Eric Rowe, too, I thought. The Eagles getting Rowe mid-second round was real great value. Uh, and as you guys know, this it was clearly a position of need for the Eagles, and he really fits two positions for them because he could play both corner and safety. Uh, I, I think there's a good chance that Rowe is going to end up being the starter opposite Byron Maxwell with um, Walter Thurmond at safety. So with Maxwell you know, maybe shadowing the number one for most of the time. It probably won't be, you know, constant shadowing, but probably a good bit. You'll, you'll probably see Eric Rowe get a chance to shine a little bit. So he, he's definitely a guy that I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, Ian, if you have any questions for Sig, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm not great at fantasy. <laughs> like, <laughs> for some reason, I just had the worst luck whenever I do redrafts um you know usually it'll be i just have like one league with a bunch of friends and i'll have a keeper i'll keep the wrong player like for example a couple years ago when trent richardson was a rookie and ray rice was still a thing i had two keepers and i kept those two guys uh based it was a well it was a little bit of a different of a setup draft but so anyways i got those two guys and that was a disaster i ended up hating myself and so we changed the rules so it was only one keeper. And so anyways, long story short, where I'm terrible at, at fantasy, I'm going to fast forward to this year. So let's say you've got like a top five pick. Okay, how do you, how do you kind of manage the clutter at the top of the draft with these yep. running backs? Like mm-hmm. you can look at a guy like LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy, he's got a big opportunity this year. Obviously in Buffalo, he's going to get the ball a ton. However... He also had a little bit of a decline last year. The, you know, the numbers show that he wasn't quite as elusive as he was in the past. There's some concerns there. Is he still the same type of player? You've got, obviously, Jamal Charles. You've got issues with him. You could, you could bring up with his injury past. You know, all these guys have a little bit of chinks in the armor that you could argue against. And then, obviously, they're great strengths that you could argue for. How would you kind of work through the clutter of that yeah. top five? And you outlined that well, and I think it mirrors a lot of the draft stuff that we do, guys, where there's arguments on both sides, and depending on your – you could start out at 51-49, and whatever side that 51 is on, those arguments will look more appealing. You may downplay the arguments on the other side, and then it snowballs. Um, so you're right. I mean it's just sorting through the arguments and, and finding out – which ones appeal to you and, and then stacking the draft board that way. I think if you draw a top five pick, uh, the list of players is pretty easy to, and you have to just decide, like you said, which of the risks or rewards are most compelling to you. Le'Veon Bell has to be in the mix. He has to be in the mix, especially if you're in a PPR league. Uh, the Steelers offense is going to join Indianapolis, who we were gushing about new Orleans, maybe new England, you know, these offenses that are just horns aplenty of fantasy production. The Steelers have the personnel. They have a bad defense. Their offensive line is gelling. And Bell had our one of my colleagues, football guys, Chase Stewart, ran down the best four-game stretches in, for running back fantasy production in NFL history 
and Bell's week 13 to 16 last year was seventh best ever. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody that's almost unfair to have in your lineup, and he was in the fantasy playoffs last year. Adrian Peterson, I don't need to make the case for Adrian Peterson. I don't care if he's 30 years old. I, I, he's going to show up angry. I, I, I won't talk you out of taking him number one overall. I won't talk you out of taking Rob Gronkowski number one overall. I don't really care about Tom Brady missing four games when it comes down to Gronkowski's bottom line because he's that much better than any other tight end. Again, in a PPR league, that's a point per reception. That's going to give you a little more span there. Uh, if you're going to take a wide receiver, I, I understand why you would in a PPR league because you can set your watch by Antonio Brown or maybe Julio Jones, who has that exposition in Kyle Shanahan offense. Andre Johnson put up massive numbers when he had that position. And the, the offense kind of funnels the ball to that that receiver, and that it's Julio Jones makes it the right thing to do. And then maybe Jamal Charles. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Charles, a little bit, just because he said he was nicked up a lot of last year, wasn't at 100%. And when you watched him play and you think about that, that's pretty impressive because he still gashed teams like Seattle last year. But you wonder if he is getting to that point uh, where maybe that's just how it's going to go for him. So he, he may be lower on that list. If there's anybody I would try to talk you out of putting fifth on the list, maybe it would be Charles. But I, I think all these guys are worthy uh, of those, those top picks because it's all about having that player that gives you the advantage. You don't want to swing for a double if you have a top five pick. I, I think – and all that stuff, going back to what you were saying, Ian, all that stuff about you can lose your draft in the first round. You can't win it, but you can lose it. <laughs> I will. This is a family show, so I won't say what I really wanted to say. But I, I don't think it. You know, I, I don't think that's true. I really don't think that's true. And you talk about blowing your two keepers. One of my best wins uh, that, that I'm most proud of a football guy staff win. I shanked my first three picks, and you can still do just fine. Matt Waldman, my colleague, talks about how there are really four legs of your fantasy football team, and like a table, and the draft is just one of them. But we have so much time to obsess about the draft that it makes it seem like it's the most important. But really, there's setting your lineup every week. There's trades, and there's the waiver wire. And you can blow your draft, or you can blow those first few picks but hit on Amir Abdullah later or Duke Johnson later or whoever else, or pick up C.J. Anderson or trade for a player when they're slumping uh, and get that uh, production at a profit. So it's just about perseverance, like the, like the NFL season itself. You know, teams have go through stretches where their team is dragging and lose two or three straight. And then it's, you know, you're peaking at the right time heading into the playoffs. It doesn't matter. It's all in the past. So I think that that perseverance is something that is rewarded greatly and something that should make people want to even if they start 0 and 3, 0 and 4. Uh, keep going because at the very least you have to play spoiler. And if you can sneak, I've won many championships sneaking into the playoffs as the sixth seed. Uh, it's a fun thing to do. I, I can attest to that actually. Uh, a couple years ago, I was in the money league. I was uh, five and six going into week 12, won the last two games, snuck in as division winner as a three seed, ran through the, ran through the playoffs. And I had a, uh, Jamal Charles and Matt Forte as two oh, of my running Jamal guys. Charles. And yeah. this was the year when Jamal Charles had that ungodly game. The, the golden the ticket. I called it the golden ticket game. Yeah. Like it was a golden ticket to the finals. It was yeah. like five, f- uh, five touchdowns over there. So that was yeah. great. Uh, I, I want to ask you quick too, Sig, you, you know, talking about some of the running backs. And you mentioned how Le'Veon Bell is certainly in the mix. So I take you're not too scared off by the three-game suspension. Like, you're, you would still be comfortable taking him with a high pick? No. No, and he, and this applies to Tom Brady, and it applied to Rob Gronkowski. And again, I'm going to mention Chase Stewart, because he did some good work showing that we should be valuing players not by their total points on the season, but by their VBD. And if what that really represents, it's it's a something Joe Bryant, one of our co-founders of Football Guys, uh, coined this term, value-based draft. Football Guys be so proud of you for all these Yeah. Well, drops. it's just because, you know, I do the name drops because I don't want to pretend that I invented this, this stuff, or I don't want to take correct. credit for it. Uh, um, and and, and I, I, I mean, I'll name drop people that work for other sites, too. But, uh, yeah, of course, this stuff's going to come to mind first. But here, here's the bottom line, all right? So you should not value Le'Veon Bell 
and compare him to other running backs based on total points. You should value him based on the advantage he gives you over the replacement level player at the position. Now we can get into some, you know, should it be the 12th ranked running back or the 24th ranked running back if you start two of them. But the point is it's about that advantage. And again, going back to what he did down the stretch last year. And really, if you look at the Steelers offense after Martavis Bryant got introduced week seven, uh, Le'Veon Bell was untouchable. I mean, he was five in a PPR format, four, five, six, seven points a game better than the number two running back that he was basically doubling the production of the number 12 running back. So there were weeks that again, he was like having an extra player in the lineup. So we'll not have and his suspension could still get reduced. Don't forget. It could be two games, maybe even one game. He may stay at three games, but there's still a little bit of a glimmer of hope there, but whatever you lose for those three games, draft D'Angelo Williams in the 14th round, play him and you'll get, you know, your 15 or 18 touches from him. Or if you draft well, maybe your third running back you draft can be a starter for you those weeks. So you're not going down to zero when you don't have Le'Veon Bell. You're going down to your replacement level. And the question is whether the gap that Bell would have over Peterson, over Charles, over Lacey uh, is greater over those other 10 games than what you give back for the three games. And I'm optimistic about Bell. He's young. He's on the upside of his career. He's in a great offense. I mean, when you look at these other players, Peterson, Charles are on – I don't think they're necessarily on decline yet, but they're certainly not on that part of their exciting part of the career where you can see them get even better from the level they've already established. Lacey is maybe there, but I think Green Bay does not have a will to give him more than 320 or 330 touches in a season. I, th- I think they want to pace him. Uh, so he's not going to get the opportunity that Le'Veon Bell gets, which is just to be the engine of this offense, and he rises to that occasion. So the advantage he gives you, he, he, look, in weeks, again, weeks, 12, 13, you talked about being 5 and 6 in week 11. You know, week 12, week 13, week 14, week 15, week 16, I want Le'Veon Bell on my team. Uh, I will, if I'm good, if I trust my ability to get through those first three weeks without him, 1 and 2, uh, that's fine. Because if you're not good enough to make the playoffs starting 1 and 2, then it doesn't matter who your first round pick is. Right, good. Uh, and just to throw in... Weeks 14, 15, and 16, Bell schedules at Cincinnati versus Denver and at Baltimore. So interesting interesting schedule for Le'Veon Bell, but he, he's certainly becoming a player that's almost becoming matchup-proof, you know, if I'm allowed yeah. to say that. Yeah. So, so and it's, it's funny, too. I'm in a, you know, it, it's a for fun league with a bunch of friends, and I'm thinking about who my keeper is going to be, and I have three choices. Now, now don't judge, don't judge these pick or uh, the three people I'm about to say as this sure. league's bad. You know, it's like I said, it's a bunch of friends. It's for fun, but I'm debating between Matt Forte, Le'Veon Bell, and Rob Gronkowski for one keeper pick. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's, I think Forte is the one that you can rule out pretty quickly just because he's not going to have the uh, receptions that he had last year As under Mark Tressman. Have Mark Tressman anymore. And that's why, you know, uh, Levy, uh, LaShawn McCoy came up earlier. I'm avoiding LaShawn McCoy. Avoid, avoid, avoid. I think everything is trending in the wrong direction for him. And uh, I would take Justin Forsett in a PPR league over McCoy. I would take Frank Gore over McCoy. So, just yeah. Just about I, the workload. Well, he got a workload last year. People say he's going to get – they're going to feed him the ball a ton. They fed him a ball a ton in Philly. He just didn't look that good. Last year, he looked to me like a running back who overestimates his own abilities, and that's lethal in the NFL. I'm sorry. He, he looked like he thought he could get to the corner. He thought he could bounce these runs outside. Yeah, and way too much in the backfield, and it was always frustrating to watch. And Buffalo's line's not going to open up better holes than the injured Philly line did. You could blame it on the injured Philly line, but it's not like he's going to get that much better. And Tyrod Taylor is not going to keep defenses honest. <laughs> so, I mean, anyway. I you still know, love I'm that getting... he's even in the discussion to be the starting quarterback. Well, that, yeah, exactly, <laughs> Buffalo. I mean, that's If you take Sam. away the quarterback, this team is one of the best rosters, right. I think, in the NFL. Well, that's who should have been talking trade for Peyton Manning, except that Peyton Manning can't play in the cold. But anyway, uh, so Matt Forte, um, it just, you know, just on the downside a little bit. Right. So getting off on that tangent, Gronkowski versus Bell's tough. Um, 
I would lean Bell just because I think that I'm seeing Rob Gronkowski still fall to the tenth. What's your if you know what your draft slot is, that can give you a little bit of insight. I will actually be picking last in the first round. I'm okay. Have the turn pick. So you're not going to get you're not going to get Gronk or Bell. I mean, you're not probably going to. Probably not. So you have no. to just, yeah, I just. And I know a guy who's yep. like a diehard Patriots fan. He's picking like fourth. If Gronk's yep. sitting there, I can almost assure you he's going to no, snatch him up at four. You, you know, with with a one keeper league and you picking that late, I really don't like what you're going to be looking at at running back. You may see uh, if you're lucky, a C.J. Anderson falls through to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I think you're probably going to be taking someone like a Forsett or a Gore there. But yeah. I'd much rather pair them up as a number two with Bell than have them as a number one. I know Lynch is going to be gone. Yeah, as a keeper, Lynch will be Peterson's gone. Or... Probably going to be a keeper. So. And you'll see guys like uh, Forte probably go before that, but I would I would be inclined to take Bell just because of the and position that's of scarcity I'm running too, back. Because you know, I'm not going to talk you out of Gronkowski though. I, I just was debating this on right. my rankings today. They're they're all top three, top four picks. Like you know, the earlier question about what to do with the top five pick. I'm not going to talk you out of Gronk over Bell or Bell over Gronkowski. I just see what Bell did down the stretch last year. And that's really exciting to me. I mean, you see, you're seeing you're seeing somebody that scored between weeks uh, 11 and 16. Uh, the Steelers were off in week 12. In those five games, he had eight total touchdowns. Uh, he had three games out of the five where he went over 200 total yards. I mean, he's doing these things almost routinely, and I don't see any reason that's going to be different in 2015. Right, and. I, I think I'm a little more confident in finding, you know, some sleeper tight ends later in the draft because there's definitely some guys. Obviously, they're not on Gronk or Graham's level, but certainly can be productive. Guys like Zach Ertz, um, yeah, you know, uh, other other guys that you know. I'm kind of drawing a blank right now, but you know, de- definitely there's some interesting guys. Maybe Greg Olson. So it, it's certainly not a not a death sentence to not have Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, I'm sorry. I kept, I kept you quiet for uh, too long, I feel, and I apologize. No, no, not at all. I'm, but, I'm uh, listening. I'm taking notes. I'm trying to be a little bit more competitive this year. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else for Sig? Yeah, I, I, I do have something. You know, Sig, when you're when you're sitting there, second, third round, what it, like? what's your strategy with running backs, I guess? Because I yeah. feel like... I feel like things started to change for a minute a year or two ago where people were like, you know, get your star running back and then you can start to venture off. But then I feel like it's started to kind of switch back because, you know, there's there's so many good running backs right now, but then they're they're off the board so quickly. You almost have to make sure that you're getting the top of that, you know, second tier, top of that even maybe, you know, third crop, I guess, in that third round, you know, What's your approach to getting two or three solid running backs? Yeah, I think that you're right. That for a, a little bit there, it looked like maybe we were, and you see things like zero running back, which was called upside down drafting, which was called do the opposite. This idea of, of waiting uh, because of volatility at running back. Um, but the problem is, as you described, they get snatched up quickly. And yes, in the first round, you will look and you'll see that the running backs are not quite as reliable as the wide receiver and tight end that you wide receivers and tight end you. Would look at and the problem is that gap gets wider the farther down the board you go um i I think that mixing your approach is a a good idea i I think that with marshawn lynch who came up earlier as the cutoff i'm pretty well set on trying to come away with running back in the first round bell peterson charles lynch you can usually get in the second half of the first round if, if you draw one of those picks and then the wide receivers in the second round I think offer just as much upside. A guy like Jordy Nelson, a guy like Mike Evans, a guy like AJ Green. I'm even seeing Calvin Johnson fall to the second round. So I think you can still get your stud wide receiver with first round value in the second round this year because you know it depends on if you like Winston if you're as optimistic as I am about him. Uh, maybe you know Evans is a guy especially you can get in the late second round. Uh, and then in the third round, you're turning back to running back. Uh, and, and as I mentioned, Forsett, who's now going in the late second round. Gore, I love. I, I just think the indie offense is plug and play. Maybe I'm being too simplistic about this. Also, I love betting on Frank Gore. Uh, if yeah. you don't get Gore, um, maybe somebody. And Jeremy Hill's going in the second round, but I don't like that just because he's so tied to how Cincinnati does in any given week. He's not a running back. He may only get 10, 11, 12 touches if Cincinnati's behind in a yeah, game. There's still the threat to Gio Bernard. 
Yeah, exactly. Because Bernard's their their hurry up, come back, shotgun kind of running back, as opposed to some of the other ones. And then in the, in the third round, if you can't get Gore, if somebody beats you to the punch with Gore, you know, there's still if you like Melvin Gordon, if you like Mark Ingram collecting all the touchdowns there, uh, if you like C.J. Spiller, and this is one of those just when you thought you were out, <laughs> they keep pulling you back in. But seriously, <laughs> C.J. Spiller is a tremendous, tremendous talent. Yeah. And you really felt like he was being punished in Buffalo the last few years. Like, you're not getting up from the table until you finish your Brussels sprouts. And he wouldn't finish his Brussels sprouts, so they kept giving him runs between the tackles and these tightly bunched formations. Uh, New Orleans isn't going to do that. New Orleans, they're not stupid. I mean, sorry, Doug Marone. Uh, but, <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they're going to put him in space. They're going to do what they did with right. Darren Sproles. Uh, so he is an interesting guy to take a swing at in the third round as an upside play in PPR leagues, especially because he could get 60, 70, 80 catches this year. But I do think that it, that's a running back. Th- the third round is a running back round this year because the wide receivers you're passing on would be guys like Brandon Cooks, who I don't think is that much different than, say, Julian Edelman uh, when you look at how they're going to be used and what their their fantasy value is going to be. De- DeAndre Hopkins, who you know two rounds later you can get Allen Robinson. I think they're somewhat similar. Um, I, I, whereas if you look at running backs in the fifth round, that drop off is a lot steeper. Uh, and I think that's why you have to come away in the first four rounds. You got to get two running backs. You got to study those running backs, figure out who your targets are and don't worry so much about ADP. Cause I'm taking Frank Gore in the third round. I don't care if he might be there in the fourth round because I think he'll produce like a second rounder or maybe even a late first rounder. So have some clarity on those running backs, but you have to come away with them because there will be a few other people in your draft doing zero running back type do the opposite drafting so you know when there's a cj anderson when there's a jeremy hill plus information is getting spread out so well in fantasy football now the information advantage is not something you can exploit like you could 10 or 15 years ago that if you're counting on i'm i'll find that jeremy hill i'll find that cj anderson you have so much more competition now and there's so many more ways for people to be a step ahead we talk about the preemptive pickups at running back where you start to anticipate things a step or two ahead and if people are doing that then if you don't draft good running backs you're not going to be able to trade for one you're not going to be able to pick one up you're just going to you better be a lot better you better have andrew luck and rob gronkowski and antonio brown i mean you better have a team that is just going to take down your opponent everywhere else because running back is going to be tough alan I want to talk about quarterbacks a little bit, too. Um, we, we talked about Andrew Luck earlier when we talked about the Colts offense and kind of gushing over them, and you just brought him up now. What's your strategy this year when it comes to quarterbacks? And, and we'll, we'll kind of, for like some of the other positions, quarterback, wide receiver, maybe even tight end, you know, who are some sleepers and yeah, what's the general strategy on that? Sure. Yeah, so, you know, I'll just I'll touch on uh, quarterback and tight end because the overview or, or the, it's almost like you have these um, these switches to trigger. You know, if Andrew Luck's there in the third round, I'm going to consider it. I, I think we don't know how good Andrew Luck can be this year. We don't know how good his numbers can be this year because he's never had a supporting cast like this. He's getting better every year. And again, I think they'll be aggressive. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers is there in the fourth round. I'm starting to think of Aaron Rodgers. If Russell Wilson's there, say, in the late fifth. And it, it's a question of who else is there. If a running back or wide receiver or a tight end that's compelling enough to kick that can down the road another round, you err on that side because you even get through those guys. In the seventh, eighth, ninth round of drafts, you're still going to have a chance to get Ben Roethlisberger or Philip Rivers uh, or Tony Romo. Or if you wait a little bit longer, if you really like Ryan Tannehill, if you really like Tay Bridgewater to come on this year, you can get those guys. Matthew Stafford is falling the tenth round, um, so it's not a problem. Uh, you you're not risking much if you don't take that early quarterback. But at some point, you have to say the value's too good. You know, I'm not going to pass up Andrew Luck so I can get Alfred Morris or something like that. That that you have to make that judgment. And it's the same thing with tight ends. Uh, we've talked about. Um, and as far as sleeper uh, uh, or you know, inexpensive quarterbacks go. I think Philip Rivers is a tremendous value right now. I think that Eli Manning is a tremendous value right now. I, look, they're all signs are pointing towards that offense becoming a high octane offense. Uh, I, I think that both of those guys are going to give you potential oh, quarterback one production. Carson Palmer can give you that. He gave it to you last year if he can stay healthy. Sam Bradford, if he can stay healthy. Philadelphia's quarterback is a low quarterback one. So low quarterback one kind of production is really cheap. 
So that's why you may err on the side of passing on the early quarterback, but know when it's the right time to do it. Uh, tight end's not quite as rosy. I mean, I know you mentioned Zach Ertz, and, and, but there's a lot fewer options where I'd say, hey, if I don't get a tight end, I'm happy with what I can cobble together in the late rounds. Right. So you know, Gronk in the first, and I think Jimmy Graham in the third is fine. I think Jimmy Graham's not going to drop off as much as people expect him to. I mean, look, Seattle's not – they didn't trade away Unger in a first round pick to throw to Jimmy Graham 80 times. You know, they're, they're going to target him 110, 120 times. He's going to be the centerpiece of the offense, pass offense. Russell Wilson's a good quarterback. He's going to make use of his good weapon that he's never had uh, one of that caliber before. And then Travis Kelsey, I think in the fifth round, is about where you would look at him. We don't know how good he's going to be. It's come out that. He was only about a month for cleared to run when the season started, I think, or maybe when training camp started. The point is, with a healthy offseason not coming off of microfracture, with Kansas City feeling much better about his ability to be, again, a key part of the offense with Jeremy Macklin opening things up, stretching defenses out. Kelsey looks great. And then it, they all kind of blend together to me. So you mentioned Ertz as an upside play. You might have to take him in the seventh or eighth round. I think Antonio Gates is st- still fine in the ninth or tenth round. His demise has been greatly exaggerated. Jordan Cameron's really fascinating if he can stay healthy. Uh, he's a, a rare big play tight end. We know that uh, that offense is going to give him opportunities. It, we, you, if you watched Miami last year, you saw Charles Clay getting a lot of opportunities on the scene. In the scene that I think that Jordan Cameron can really make some hay on those kind of plays, Josh Hill replacing Jimmy Graham, Dwayne Allen, who said he, you know he was not truly healthy, I think, for very little at all last year. So he's healthy. You know, he's a magnificent player. You mentioned Delaney Walker. He should you know be a, again a key part of that pass offense. Even Owen Daniels is fascinating because Kubiak because he knows the. I mean, he's going to be teaching those guys yeah, that offense. Julius Thomas is gone. Yeah, and he could easily score six or eight touchdowns. And one more name I'll toss out there is Kyle Rudolph. And here's why I like Kyle Rudolph. Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I mean, it's just I like Teddy Bridgewater. Rudolph was not healthy at all last year. So whatever disappointments we have, and again, this might just be a case of saying you're burying the lead, Sig. I'm talking to myself now. Because the, the lead is he was hurt all last year, Rudolph. And why should you expect him to not be hurt? But he did have that hernia fixed in the offseason. Uh, he's a solid player. I mean, he's a, he's a, a receiver who has done well in the red zone. He's a receiver. He's not a tremendous, tremendous athlete inside him, but he's no slouch. Uh, and I just think that he's the kind of player that Teddy Bridgewater can, can do some good things with. So those would be the tight ends I'd be looking for later on. Uh, but you, if you don't get one of those top three tight ends, you've got to be open to just, to, you know, be open to guys like Larry Donnell or Heath Miller, or you know, if you like Eric Ebron to break out in, in Detroit, he's someone you might look at. Uh, but you cast a wide net and, and be ready to make a switch uh, early on in the season to get that tight end who defies expectations. But year after year, there usually isn't one. That's the thing. You know, Julius Thomas will come along every now and then. But most of the time, it's really hard to find tight end production if you don't take one high. Uh, and, and you kind of mentioned him a little bit, and I wanted to ask about you too. And Ian, I'll get your thoughts on him too in a bit. You mentioned Josh Hill, and I caught a little bit of the last audible, and you were talking a little bit about him too. You know, kind of how New Orleans has to replace Jimmy Graham, and can it be Josh Hill, or is it going to be a committee between him and Ben Watson? Kind of talk a little bit about Josh Hill and how he can try to fit you know what Jimmy Graham was or what New Orleans is going to try to do to kind of fill in the tight end position especially with guys like Kenny Stills gone and Marcus Colston aging yeah I think um I mean I'm optimistic about Hill he had he and Drew Brees had a ridiculous efficiency per target last year uh, I don't think you're necessarily going to plug Jimmy Graham, plug him right into Jimmy Graham's spot and take all Jimmy Graham's routes and, and play calls and things. But he is certainly much better suited than Ben Watson to be that downfield target. That's what he was at Idaho. I mean, he was a receipt at Idaho State. I'm sorry. He was a, a receiving tight end, and that's what he's going to be for this team. Um, he may be a matchup play. I, I don't know that he's going to be consistent, uh, but somebody has to pick up the slack of that offense, as we indicated. 
Uh, he's as good as, as any just because he has the right skill set to do that. But Ben Watson and his two-way – a lot of the reports out of OTAs were that Ben Watson was still getting a lot of targets. Ben Watson was the one on the field more often. So that's going to be something to watch in the preseason. But even in a limited role, Josh Hill, when he's on the field, he's on the field to be a receiver. So Ben Watson can out-snap him by 10, 15, 20 snaps a game, and Hill can still easily outproduce him. Uh, and Ian, if you if you have any thoughts on Josh Hill and yeah, it'll he'll be really interesting to watch as his snap count continues to to rise. You know, like Sig mentioned, you know, someone's got to got to play that role for them. You know, they lost Kenny Stills, obviously losing Graham. They they have a need for a big slot that's you know can go vertical and be effective like that. I, I'm really interested to see him. I think it's been uh, interesting. Because I think that there's been a lot of hype for him, at least for as someone that's been searching a lot this this off season just for for various articles, I've, I constantly see his name come up. And I mean, I I personally wouldn't know like his average draft position or anything like that, but it wouldn't surprise well, me. I'll, if, I'll throw that in right now. I mean, to interrupt you. No, no, no go uh, ahead. But I'm just looking at the my fantasy league ADP in drafts since June 1st. Hill's actually the tenth running, or excuse me, tenth tight end off the board ahead of guys like Jason Witten, who's 11th, Delaney Walker, 12th, Dwayne Allen's 15th. So you, you get an idea where he is compared to some of the other guys. That's, and that's really interesting, you know, because as far as like, from my perspective, which again, isn't so much as a fantasy perspective, it seems very overvalued right now compared to what we've seen actual production wise from him. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Sig, Sig may have a different take on that. Well, um, just really quickly, it's, it's just it's just that Hill offers the unknown. You know, with Whit, Witten, Walker, and those guys, they they are likely to outproduce Hill, but Hill has at least some chance of being he's got that, that answer. Yeah, he's, he's got, got that home run swing to him. So that's why he's going higher, and you have to pay a bit of a premium for that. And that's why you know if somebody else wants if somebody wants to take him in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, then you let them because I don't know that that's justified. But once you right. get your core positions filled out, um, then that's when you take that swing and you march Hill out there for that first week. And remember, Hill's first week is against Arizona. Remember Jared Cook's first week, week one against Arizona a few years ago? I mean, he was the hot sleeper. So, you know, you draft Josh Hill as your starting tight end. You march him out there against Arizona, who, as far as I know, you know, Tyron Matthews is going to be healthier. But as far as I know, they still don't defend the tight end very well at all in the passing game. And see where it goes from there. Yeah, so, and go ahead. I don't know if you anything else to add, Ian. No, no, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by him, and I think it's going to be really fun to see how the Saints maximize his his talent, and uh, just to kind of see what he becomes because athletically he is a really good athlete, and obviously we're just working off of pro day numbers mm-hmm. from a few years ago, but you know comparably to to Graham he has the upper hand in several key categories. So I mean it's going to just be really interesting to see how those years of development kind of uh, I guess come to fru- fruition. And you know, a big time roll increase. All right, and, and I'll I'll just mention quick. I know we kind of t- just talked about the value of Josh Hill. I know Matt Waldman. Uh, see, I'm name dropping a little bit too. How's that, Sig? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I know he said that he would rather him like maybe as like a higher tight end two, like as far as where he's drafting him instead of where he's at now as a low end tight tight end one. But like you said, he certainly delivers that upside uh and then guys like tyler eifert i'm pretty intrigued by Ver- vernon davis 21st tight end off the board you know obviously a down year but you know under a new head coach we'll see how things pop up uh and then my boy jay samaro i can't leave talking <laughs> tight ends without my boy jay samaro i know he struggled his rookie season but damn it i have faith in him because i was a fan of him was out of texas tech and I will not rest until he is either completely out of it or I've been proven right about him. And Chan Gailey will know how to use him. I mean, if there's someone out there who will just say, what do you do? All right, let's, let's ask you to do that. I, I like his chances there, but we'll see. We'll see. And, you know, with Geno Smith, a quarterback, hopefully. Yeah, you never know. Uh, Ian, do you have anything else for Sig? Because I know I have one uh, more question I want to ask him. I'm I'm good. Go ahead. 
you tweeted earlier, I think the other day, Sig, someone had asked you about, like, a possible defense, yeah, like a defensive option. I think you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned how Miami is a good option for the first couple of weeks. I, I was just hoping if you could... You know, yeah, since you're not tweeting. You're actually sure, talking, you sure. kind of expand on that. Yeah, and they're going as the seventh defense off the board, so you're not going to get them as a leadoff in a streaming uh, approach where you would play the matchups, which I've found to be very successful at producing pretty solid production, even more production than just leaving the same defense, even an elite right. defense in week after. That too. I like yeah. playing defense roulette. Yeah. So you will have to invest a little bit more. You can't necessarily be the last one to take. You might have to spend, you know, a 15th round pick on Miami. But here's what you love about them. You already have the pinchers. You already have Vernon and Wake on the outside. Now you add in Ndamukong Su. Uh, and we, you know, we see what kind of disruption he provides from the middle and then all the things that trickle downstream from that. Um, but the, the thing you have to love about Miami is if you draft them, you're going to get Washington week one, RG3. You're going to get Jacksonville, Blake Bortles week two. You're going to get Buffalo. We already talked about that situation. The Jets, Geno Smith's name was just n- mentioned in vain. You will need a buy coverage in week five. Week six, you get Tennessee. We've already gone over that. Week seven, Houston Texans. Brian Mallett, Brian Hoyer. I don't really care. So there you go, the first six games. Now, you will have to cover a bye, but the first six games, guys, we could say, what are the eight worst quarterback situations in the league? You know, what are the what are the teams that you say, ooh, you know, they could be in for some rough weeks when they face good defenses? I mean, this would be six of the eight right here, right off the bat. So I love Miami as someone you can draft and plug in. And we also have to remember, too, I mentioned Phillip Rivers going falling into Bermuda Triangle. When they're at home, Miami can be a really, really tough team in every facet of the game. So, again, Buffalo Jets coming down there weeks three, week four, humidity, uh, the heat. And you see teams wilt, and you see Miami really get a killer instinct when that starts to happen at home. So I, I, I think that Miami is a terrific defense to start out with. And I, I would say that how, however good their pass rush has been, uh, when you add Ndamukong Sue now, you really up the ante and, and make them the kind of front line that can take over games. Great. And, and one last thing before we let you go, Sig. We, we don't... This is probably the most you've probably talked about fantasy defenses in quite some time. I, I know oh, no, I love it. A whole lot of love. Hey, you play DFS. It, I mean, D, you play Daily Fantasy. It's on both FanDuel and DraftKings. I mean, it's a position that matters. Money's on the line. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of redraft, when it yeah. comes to fantasy defenses, is there any situation... Let, let's say you're doing, like, say, a standard 16-round draft. Right. Is there any situation where you you would consider taking a defense anywhere earlier than the last two rounds of your draft? It's scoring. I mean, you have to look at these scoring systems because some, uh, if you do MFL 10s, those best ball drafts, they actually pe- penalize you for your defense, can have negative points if they give up like over 30 points and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there are scoring systems that weight yards allowed and points allowed. And in those kinds of systems, you may see, you just need to look. And we, one of the things we preach, the first rule is always, the first adage, you know, maxim is, know your system, knowing your scoring system in lineups. Know your scoring system in lineups. Because some defensive system, scoring systems can make having a Buffalo Bills, Houston Texans type of defense really valuable. Because they hold down, if you're getting a span of, say, five to negative three, depending on yards allowed, and maybe 10 to negative three because you have extra bonus for a shutout. Now, all of a sudden, a good week for a defense is a 20 or 25 point week. Uh, So I do think you need to be open to that if your scoring system dictates it. And this is where doing your homework for your draft is. I see more and more like this. Uh, and I, I think that those kinds of leagues might merit. And the other thing is in a 16 round draft, um, you're going to have a very short bench anyway. So having to cycle through, might not want to have to cycle through defenses and make a lot of moves, especially if you have a waiver wire budget that you're going to have to be chipping away at. So a shorter bench might also encourage you to go with that plug and play. Just take one, you know, 10th, the 11th, 12th, 13th round and, uh, and, and roll with it and see what happens because, 
as much as I get excited about uh, Miami Buffalo adds Rex Ryan, Houston hopefully adds Jadavian Clowney. Uh, so there's excitement there too. Great. A uh, lot, a lot of great info. Sig really appreciate it. And really glad you were able to come on and give us some great info as you always do on Twitter. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and anything else you want to plug? Yeah, no, it's at Sigmund Bloom. And, I mean, the football guys, if you haven't heard of it, if you've heard of us, I don't think I need to sell you on football guys. If you haven't, um, we're just going to give you everything. Right now we have, as part of our Insider Pro subscription, two e-books. One's Cracking FanDuel, one's Cracking DraftKings. It summons up all of the collective intelligence of our staff on Daily Fantasy. Our mobile draft dominator just came out after Apple, iPhones for uh, Android, our magazine app. You know, you like the old magazine style, but look, the magazines are printed in May. They're out of date. Ours, it's it's electronic, so it stays updated. Uh, we've got all that good stuff, but mainly it's the community and just the football obsession. And I've had over the years a lot of great and look forward to continue great conversations with both of you and so many other people in our community. Uh, and that's really what it's about is, is the community. And uh, I think people will feel at home. Um, and of course, you know, hopefully we'll help you win some money, some championships along the way too. Great stuff. Sig, thanks so much, my friend. Uh, yeah, great Ian, pleasure. Another great week, my friend. Glad you're glad you were aboard again. Uh, of course. Just uh, thanks again to Sig, man. This is this is definitely awesome, and uh, I know our listeners will definitely appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to join us th- this week. Yeah, anytime, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to have you back on down in the future, Sig. Uh, next week. Dan Hatman joining us. We're going to talk about the scouting process and things like that. So if you, if you have questions for him, get them in, and we'll hopefully get them in. And really looking forward to getting some front office inside and scouting, and should be a good time next week. So for my buddy Ian Wharton and for Sigmund Bloom, I am Bill Rossetti. We are the Gridiron Graduates. Thanks for listening. and.